It's been a huge part of, of my growth of learning how to to find language for different things that I've been through. Like there have been times where I've received messages from people who are talking about something they went through in college. And I'm like, oh, I felt that way too, you know? But I never even really sat with that. You know, I never even really thought about that. It's amazing what just conversation in general can bring up, just hearing other people's stories. Like even when it's not like a, you know, a deep conversation or whatever, and so much just talking, I feel like I've become a much better listener. And as a result, I'm able to listen to myself a lot more mindfully too. The past often acts itself out in the present. And this can be so frustrating for established leaders like you because you've done the work on your struggles to move past them. You've read the books, you've gone to therapy, you got the coaching and went to the workshops. You've committed to the deep work so you can lead well, thrive well, create well. And yet, the echoes of those seasons you've worked so hard to move through can still impact your ability to navigate present challenges and growth edges because those echoes of pain likely are still lingering in your body and your nervous system. Now I know you're committed to lifelong growth and growth comes with discomfort. So if your nervous system is still carrying the burdens of previous pain, then resistance will spike to try and protect you. A current challenge, hurt, a risk, these all can activate your well-intentioned protectors and resistance will show up in the form of doubt, comparison, imposter experience, perfectionism, and more. <laughs> and you cannot just think the resistance and other protectors away. Feeling through your emotion is where resilience is built that can support your desire to lead with more courage, conviction, and compassion. Now, it's one thing to intellectually connect the dots with your pain and make changes. What often is not discussed in the quick fix, hack your way to freedom, personal development models out there is that these echoes often don't have words to them. I call these the groans of the human spirit. And when these echoes get tapped by a threat to safety or to the comfort of the known, the familiar bedfellows of doubt, judgment, and numbing show up again and again. And they can stir up your nervous system and wreak havoc on your flow unless you pay attention to them and reframe your view of resistance. Instead of trying to kill it, get curious about it and even befriend it and this will set you up to get the relief you desire. I'm Rebecca Ching, and you're listening to The Unburdened Leader, the show that goes deep with leaders whose burdens have inspired their life's work. Our goal is to learn how they've addressed these burdens, how they rise from them, and become better and more impactful leaders of themselves and others. When reoccurring struggles show up from the echoes of past hurts and struggles, they can collide with the belief you need to keep it all together, which brings up fears of losing credibility or of being misunderstood if it becomes known that you're rumbling with these reoccurring struggles again. The protector of resistance can stir up a pretty vicious cycle of shame, which can take out the best of us through saying things like, you've already worked on this, so you should be over it by now. <laughs> or something like, other people have it worse. Who do you think you are to still be struggling? Yet paying attention to these trailheads of doubt and insecurity 
Seeing them instead as data points instead of identity markers feels deeper understanding that supports how you lead yourself and others. My guest today is an unburdened leader who leans on her curiosity and her appreciation for the layers of what it means to be human. She also deeply values the role of creativity to heal from the falls, the heartaches, the disappointments that come from living a brave life. Now, my guests may not need an introduction for many of you, but for the few of you, like me, who are living under the Instagram rock up until recently, I am so pleased to welcome Morgan Harper Nichols to the show. Morgan is an artist and a poet whose work is inspired by real-life interactions and stories. As an artist, Morgan has collaborated with a wide range of brands, including Anthropology, Coach, Adobe, Airy, and more. She authored her first book of poetry and art, All Along You Were Blooming, at the end of 2020, which feels like a lifetime ago now. (laughs) Pay attention to how Morgan rumbles with comparative suffering how the echoes of struggles from her childhood kept impacting her confidence and which led to her continuing to question her career path and creative instincts. And for all of you who are internal processors and take precious time to get the right words together, this episode will especially resonate with you. Enjoy this interview and get to know one of the most humble and prolific leaders of our time. You are listening to The Unburdened Leader with Morgan Harper Nichols. Morgan, I am over the moon excited you're here today. Thank you so much for joining me on The Unburdened Leader. Oh, thank you for thank you for having me. It's it's an honor to speak with you. <laughs> I I was thinking about as I was prepping for our time just meeting. It's, it feels like longer, but we met last summer at the Yellow yeah. Conference. <laughs> yeah, that was ages ago. <laughs> Shoot, it was ages ago. Wow. It really feels like a lifetime. And I, you know, what's kind of funny is I was I was living under a rock and wasn't aware of your work. I had a colleague say, Oh, there's this woman who's speaking and she's amazing. And I was like, Okay, she's like, check her out. And I was chatting with you. I hadn't put it together and you were like just getting ready to speak. <laughs> we're just having like a deep conversation minutes before you go. <laughs> and I loved it. It was I still remember that conversation. It was such like a grounding conversation because I, anytime I get ready to speak, you know, I, I just kind of shoot straight up into my head and I'm just like, oh, overthinking. And so, yeah, a conversation just like brought me on back to the ground. I was like, who is that? I need to know her. I need her in my life. <laughs> I was so encouraging. It was just what I needed. <laughs> I felt the same way about you. And then when I heard you speak, I'm like, Oh, oh, and all the all the dots connected, oh, and um, was deeply impacted by you, and and since then been a big fan of who you are and what you put out into the world. And obviously, I have my biases on things that I um, am passionate about putting out there. And what you've been you've been open about talking about your own struggles uh, with depression. You've mm-hmm. spoken about your experience with depression. I'd love for you to talk about the first time that you realized that you were depressed and, and what was going on at that time? Yeah. So, um, when I was a teenager, I was, I was a homeschooled preacher's kid and I had for most of my life, including now I've kind of been, I've always been okay with being alone in the sense of like, I have one sister, like 
we would hang out, but I never felt like I needed a lot of friends or needed a big, you know, community or anything. Um, and it, it was during my teenage years, which, you know, I think is not unique to me. It's just, you're kind of wondering where your place is in the world, you know, where are you going to end up? Who, who are your friends going to be? And it was just sort of like this realization of like, well, what if I don't have friends? Um, hmm. And I remember, I remember one time, like my mom, like was trying to help me like find friends. And I signed up for a dance class and it was a tap dancing class. And the only, <laughs> the only other student, which, I mean, this is no, this is no offense to anyone's age, but you know, thinking I'm, I'm 14 at this point, the only other <laughs> okay. student was like a 50 year old lady. And it was just like, I think that was for me. It was that honestly, it was that cool. And I feel so bad for saying that because they didn't mean any harm. <laughs> they were wonderful. The teacher, the other lady, I mean, they were wonderful, but I was just like, is this my life? Like the the 50-year-old lady in my tap dancing class, is that my only friend? You know, again, I'm 14 saying this. So um and honestly, that that honestly was the breaking point for me. I really mm-hmm. sunk into a really deep depression. I wouldn't have used that word then. Um, cause I really wasn't that familiar with it at that time. And, and I didn't even really know how to express to my parents how I was feeling. And, and yeah, I, I that was sort of like a really low point for me where I, I just didn't want to do anything. I was just like, I don't want any friends. Like, what is the point of me even being here? And thankfully that same exact year, um, I'm like a few months after that. I mean, I, that was like a just a strange period. I, and even in my memory, I can't even. I feel like I can't even really grasp like what was happening. I just, I see a lot of times. This might be kind of weird, but I see, I see different parts of my life like in colors a lot of times, like in different seasons. So when I was hmm. when I studied abroad in college, I was in England, and when I think back on that, it's green. And it's just really mm. fascinating. Like it's just, I see the green hills because that was like the first thing I saw when the plane was landing, and I was just amazed by how green everything was. And when I think on that period, it was just like this weird murky gray. Like it's just this wow. Like I don't even know. I'm like, what was happening there? You know, it's like I, I was, I was in a, I was in a good home. Like I, I love my parents. I love my family. Um, and at the same time, it was just tough. You know, and and I feel like my story is is one that shows that, you know, it doesn't matter your background. <laughs> like it doesn't matter your environment a lot of times. Like you can find yourself in that place and that's okay. And I think the biggest thing was I didn't I didn't know that it was okay. It was just like you have everything you need, you know, you have food to eat, you have parents that love you, you have, you know, you have the opportunity to be creative. My parents have been always very encouraging to me to be creative. It's like, well, I shouldn't complain, you know, look at my life in comparison to other kids. So yeah, I was, I feel like that was kind of the big chapter one of just like dealing with that. It was just like, it, do, it didn't feel okay. And then I ended up finding music that same year. And that was where it suddenly felt like, okay, these things that I'm feeling and can't seem to figure out, like, at least they seem to kind of belong in music at least they kind Mm. of have a place that that's like a safe place where I felt like that was a safe place where I could ask questions. You know, I felt like it was a safe place where I could kind of get to the core of 
of what I was feeling, even if I didn't know why or what the answer was. And the first song I wrote was called Preacher's Kid. So I feel like that's, and it was just about like feeling like I had to be a perfect preacher's kid. And because I never felt like I, I fit into either the stereotypes of a preacher's kid. I feel like it was always like preacher's kids are either rebellious and go against every rule or they were just like, I want to be a pastor too. And I just felt like, I was just like, I don't know who I, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I am. So music was like a first place of, okay, well, even though I don't know how to talk to anyone about this, I can at least put it into art. I can at least turn it into something. And so, yeah, to kind of just wrap that up, like my life has been, I feel like from that point to where I am now has been, art has become a huge place for me to, ask those questions and to put those feelings that I don't always feel comfortable or, or safe to share. Um, it's like, that's a starting point for me. And I feel like the work I'm doing now is like, okay, well, how can we, how can I go beyond that? You know, like, how can I go beyond just like art being the, um, the place that holds all of that? It's like, it can, but how can I work with it? Cause I, I mean, I still have moments where, I would say not so much in the past few years, but definitely in my mid twenties, I got, I had some of those same feelings again, that some of the deeper depression. So, so yeah, I don't know if that answers the question or not, but. <laughs> well, it, it does. And, and you, you touch on a couple of things, which I want to unpack further in, in a bit, yeah. especially around how I feel like art, however that is for people is it's not even just a sense of essential for healing. I feel like, what you're teaching us and what I'm learning too is it's essential for living. And it is just, it's another way of communicating and being heard and being seen and giving voice to things. I think that's powerful. You said something earlier that just that's, that's landed with me and it's worth circling back to when you were feeling that darkness and, you know, part of, I apologize. I was laughing earlier at this image of you and does, was this in Atlanta where you were in the tap yeah. dancing mm-hmm. class? Yeah. And you show oh, up yeah, at 14 in the throes <laughs> it's, it's of adolescence totally yeah. and a 50 year old woman. And I'm just thinking, and maybe I'm just identifying as a mom. It's like, note to self, <laughs> don't hotwire friendships through tap dance. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you said that when, you, when that was the breaking point, there was just this existential moment of, uh, these are my words, loneliness and just seeing like, the, the, what what you were looking for that really tipped you into that deep depression and you said and it wasn't okay and you know you, and you repeated a couple of times you know I love my family I had hot meals I was cared for mm-hmm. it wasn't okay and I I wish I could tell you Morgan how many times I've heard that in my life mm-hmm. personally but also in my clinical and leadership work it's like it's not okay to struggle and so you have a deep practice of looking back. I've I heard you talk about how you love look, like your journals are a source of inspiration and you know, looking back on the younger you, that 14 year old you, what do you think she could not see at the time? And, you know, and what are the burdens she was carrying that, that mm. led to her feeling like it wasn't okay to feel what she was feeling? Mm. Yeah. The first thing when you said that, I think the first thing, like the first word that came up was needs. And I think a lot of it was just Mm. struggling with, okay, my basic needs are met. So who am I to complain? Who am I to, to acknowledge that I have other needs? 
I just didn't feel like I had the courage or the strength or the audacity, whatever it was. I didn't feel like I even had the, the, like I could not have said I need friends back then Mm. because for me it was such, well, I have my family. Well, there are the kids at church. They're kind of mean to me, but you know, I do have other kids in my life. Maybe I'm the problem. Maybe that's why, like, that's what, that's what will come up instead of just saying, I need friends. I need people in my life who get me, who I feel safe to hang out with. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And even, even saying it now, I still feel like in my body, like, whoa, that feels, that feels really vulnerable to say. And, you know, maybe for others, maybe that's not the case. Like maybe they're more open with that. But for me, it was. It was a real struggle back then. Um, and I think some of it may have been um, just not wanting to look weak, not wanting mm. to look like, um, because one one thing that I forgot to add is that, you know, um, there had been some close family members to pass away um, from the time I was 11, which was actually 2001. So 9-11 was happening and then literally right after that, we had a very close relative, someone that I saw every single day, um, mm-hmm. pass away. And then another tragic death in the family, someone that I saw pretty regularly, uh, passed away as well. Um, and I saw my parents kind of step up to be leaders and sort of like in the family of just like kind of helping hold everyone else together because they were in ministry. And that was just sort of like their role. So I think I was sort of like, oh, well, that's where we kind of stand. You know, we're the ones that we don't really, we're not in need, you know, we're the one that people come to. Like it wasn't abnormal growing up for people to just show up at the house <laughs> all the time, just like knock on the door. Hey, I need to talk. <laughs> you know, is your mom here? Is your dad here? You know, it wasn't, that wasn't abnormal. Um, <laughs> it was actually strange. <laughs> no one was knocking on the door. Um and I, I remember like being a kid, like where my bedroom was, I could see the, the I could see where a car was slowing down in front of the house to turn into a dri- the driveway. And I remember thinking, like, kind of bracing myself, like, oh, someone's here, someone's in need, you know, what, what are we, what are we going to have to do to give? And it wasn't even, I don't even know what my feelings were about it. It was just sort of like, this is just what you do. So I think mm-hmm. I kind of internalized a lot of that, just like, yeah, you know, if you have any type of resource and, you're the giver. You're the one that has to pour out, you know, you don't need to express your needs. Like that's not a thing. And it was just like an unspoken thing. And no one told me that, (laughs) you know, no one said, Hey, Morgan, you don't need to talk about your needs. No one, no one said that. It just sort of felt like, Oh, okay. That's the thing. And then I have one younger sister and that felt like, well, you know, if one of us does have a need, then, well, she's probably the priority because she's younger. And um, she also had an illness that involved going to the hospital a lot. So it was like, okay, well, she's the one with needs. She's the one. Um, I'll just be strong. So I, yeah, I feel like <laughs> a lot of it. I still have to catch myself in that. Because um, so I, I even, I married an oldest sibling who dealt with very similar things. And we're both like, cause <laughs> like, Hey, we kind of like deal with that. You know, we, we both at times feel like we've got to be the, the strong one, the one that's kind of have it all together. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I appreciate you even connecting to the vulnerability you were feeling in your body just now sharing that the, to share a need and how it still feels too risky to share. I need connection. I need I need people in my life that there's reciprocity. Those, you know, those are my words. But And it's amazing how at such a young age, we can internalize and dismiss our pain and our needs and serve others. We minimize that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But just that, uh, that pattern that starts early on of pushing our needs aside in the effort of serving others. And there's this judgment, this story we make up early on for many of us that, oh, our needs aren't important or, or what I'm feeling isn't valid or real and how that mm-hmm. can manifest in your system then just took you on a full body timeout. It sounds like, yeah. yeah. And then, and music became a really, and art became a really important vehicle for you finding space to breathe. And, you know, I, you give mm-hmm. such beautiful witness to people in their darkness. Um, and I, I want you to share a little bit more about your process that, you know, the people write you with immense pain and shame and you offer such witness and dignity through your art and music and words. Can you talk about your process of what you kind of became known for, um, especially on Instagram, social media? And and I'd love to hear also after you share that process, how it's impacted you and your own system. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so in 2017, um, I was kind of coming, slowly coming out of a season of a big career change, um, lots of uncertainty with that. It all kind of stemmed from that, which, again, I feel like that's not unique to me in the sense of like, yeah, when your job changes, you're like, well, I don't know what to do. It could kind of spiral into a lot of other, well, what am I doing in general. So I was sort of having a moment like that. Um, and it was, a, I was, I've always, I've always been very creative and I was in a creative profession. I was working in the music industry and I was touring and doing music. Um, however, I was um, exhausted and also broke. Um, and mm-hmm. most of the things don't, don't really go well together. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's, you can you can handle one, you know. It's like, all right, <laughs> I can be tired, or I can be, but tired and exhausted is a that's a that's a real thing. So um, that's kind of where I was, and I ended up writing a poem about it, essentially, and <laughs> just sort of that, like, I think I just need to give up on trying to be creative and trying to be an artist. Like, even personally, um, it just felt like oh, maybe that's like a thing that I need to just leave behind. It's like, maybe I need to try to find a real job or whatever. Um, so just in true Morgan fashion, I essentially end up writing this poem about giving up on art. <laughs> so um, it's like, yeah, that's what you do. Like you do something creative to talk about giving up on creativity. That's essentially what I did. And I shared this poem on Pinterest and I forgot about it. And several months later, it had been repinned over a hundred thousand times. That's all. <laughs> I well, was like, "Okay, how did that happen?" Um, I didn't use any tags or anything. I didn't. I, I mean, I forgot about it. I just posted it and left it alone. And um, 
And at first, I, you know, I would love to say that I, it was just like this awakening moment. And I was like, aha, I'm a poet. I know what I'm going to do now. But it wasn't that. It was more of like, okay, that was like a random one-off thing. And I don't know what that was, but I'll just let it be and just, you know, go on with my life. However, the thing that sort of woke me out of my sleep, that's kind of the best way I can explain it. I feel like I was hmm. asleep to my creativity, asleep to my, this, which is a part of like who I am, but I was just sort of like closing it off. And the thing that woke me out of it was I started to get message. Now I posted this on Pinterest, um, but I started to get messages on Instagram, which for me, Instagram was always a place where I felt like I had to kind of put on the show and be this like professional, successful creative, which I, I wasn't successful to most standards of especially music success I, I didn't have that but I felt the pressure to be that I felt the pressure to like okay you can't really share on Instagram unless you know you kind of have it together and you know, it's just how I felt and um, so of all places I started to get messages on Instagram people who are finding the poem and they were finding me on Instagram and they were saying things like like, I don't know who you wrote this for, this poem. I don't know what it's about, but this really spoke to me. And it just spoke to, like, the worst thing that I went through last year. And people started to share their stories with me um, about their own feelings of failure and things that fell apart in their lives. And, and I was just completely mystified and humbled. I was like, how did, you know, something that, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you know, this issue that I had, I would not have considered it to be that big of a deal. That's just how I saw it. And yet still, when I got down to the bottom of it, that ended up connecting with someone else who, in my mind, had been through way worse than what mm -hmm. I had been through. And that was a different experience for me because I had spent so much of my life feeling like my story wasn't valid or that I wasn't, you know, this or that. But now I had this moment where it was like, oh, wait a second. Even even though I don't feel like I have that much to say and I haven't been through very much and all these things I tell myself, even that feeling is somewhat universal. <laughs> um, even that feeling, other people feel that way about their story too. And you know, I'm reading these stories. I'm just like, how do you even have the strength to talk about this? Like, this is, and and the thing that really got me was when I started to get messages from teenage girls. And I think that's what really shook me because I could hear myself in their words. And it was through those DMs, and this is still true to this day, DMs, emails I received, that's where I found the inspiration to make work. Um, and I just decided, I was like, you know what? I can't seem to figure out how to make this work professionally, but at least I can write for her. You know, mm -hmm. at least I can make something for that girl. Um, I may not be able to figure out how to make this work in, in the mainstream or how this works into a business model. I wasn't thinking about that yet. Um, I was still just doing random freelancing work and <laughs> trying to pay the bills. And But I was like, this feels like I, I at least need to respond to her. So 
that was in 2017 when that started. And still to this day, every week I'm in my emails, I'm on Instagram DMs. Well, I've had to take a break from Instagram the past few weeks, but <laughs> I still check my, I still check my email. Um, that's actually become a, a an easier, more accessible place because the thing that kind of ends up happening with social media is that sometimes like, you know, there's just so much going on, like, but the, but if someone takes time to email you in 2020, like, you know, that's a, that's, a, that takes a moment, you know, it takes a minute to do that, to like find the email and sit down and come up with a subject line and write an email. Um, so yeah, I, I was just in my email yesterday just responding to someone and yeah, that inspired a whole poem just from talking to her. So yeah, it's become a huge part of my creative process. And then what ended up happening is by reading so many messages and so many stories, I end up, I end up different things end up coming up in my own story, things that maybe I didn't even have language for. And, um, and yeah, so it's been a huge part of, of my growth of, of learning how to, to find language for different things that I've been through. And um, like there've been times where I've received messages from people who are talking about something they went through in college. And I'm like, Oh, I felt that way too. You know, but I never even really sat with that. You know, I never even really thought about that. Um, So yeah, it's, it's amazing what just conversation in general can bring up just hearing other people's stories. Like even when it's not like a, you know, a deep conversation or whatever, and someone's just talking, like I've, I've, I feel like I've become a much better listener. And as a result, I'm able to listen to myself a lot more mindfully too. So, yeah. What, what are you noticing as you listen to yourself more? Mm, I am noted. The first word that came up when you said that was just like forgotten. And I think it's just forgotten things or, Mm. even suppressed suppressed memories things that I'm like oh I'll just put that on a shelf and not worry about it right now um it was something that like the, the message I was referring to that I most recently responded to actually it was she mentioned a line in a poem that I wrote and she was like this is what it meant to me and it was completely different than what I had written it about um but it was something about the way that she isolated that line that just caused me to remember just sort of like how I struggle with trusting myself. And she was talking, the, I think the line that I had written was something about like, there's still a path beneath your feet. And, um, and I was like, oh, like I forget that. And I feel like I'm forgetting that now. Like <laughs> that's something I need to look at. So it's, um, you know, sometimes it's subtle, sometimes it's direct. Um, but yeah, it's that's been really special for me. Just to have that space where I can where I can connect with other people, and it, and it's mutual, you know, because I'm I'm able to offer them something and and give them something, but they're they're giving me just as much in return. Like it's it's I mean, not that it's like a tit for tat type thing. It's <laughs> It's not about that, but that's just sort of what organically ends up happening, you know, I think when just two people are present with each other. And, and you know, I, I think ultimately face-to-face is the ideal, but especially during these times where, you know, for all of us, 2020 is just completely 
shaken up this whole idea of what it means to be with people in person. I, I'm a, I'm a huge advocate for like, okay, yeah, email, it's not the best way <laughs> to have an intimate connection with someone, you know, but at the same time, if it's all you have, like you really can, you really can still learn a lot about others and learn a lot about yourself. So, yeah. Well, your work really brings up a common humanity where people don't feel that isolation that I'm the only one going through this. And that is oxygen for the soul for so many of us when you go, okay, we get out of that, that belief that we're the only one going through this and move us into, this is part of being human. Okay. <laughs> that's not just me. And, and that's such a gift. Um, you know, I, I'm still the echoes of what you just said, when you listen, what came up was you know, the word forgotten and things that were repressed that you put on the shelf. And that I, I think it's so much something we all do um, as we're leading ourselves and leading others. It's, there's nothing really efficient <laughs> about pain <laughs> and emotion and difficulty and discomfort. Um, and especially for folks like firstborns, I'm a firstborn too, or oh. folks that have the capacity to say, I'm going to push aside my needs or my needs are not important. It's always about the other. And then as soon as we get curious and listen within, that can also be like, feel like a little bit like a floodgate too. There might be a lot invested into not listening to mm -hmm. that because we've got things to do. You know, your mom, your son, when I met you, your son was what, a few months old. So how old is yeah, he now? He just turned a year old. Two weeks Goodness ago. Goodness gracious. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, so you may have really heard him in the background, by the way, at some point. He's, he's in the room with my husband, but I was like, I heard a, a loud voice, and I think I know who that was. But <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I do. All welcome. Oh, All welcome. <laughs> and, but that listening can feel really scary. Um, you know, and people are sharing their stories of struggle with you. What are some of the things that still get in the way of you sharing your mm. stories of struggle? Yes, that is, <laughs> ooh, that is daily work for me. Um, me too. <laughs> because um, even though it takes vulnerability and courage to share art, it has become something that I hide behind. Um, mm. It has become a way for me to okay, I don't want to talk about this directly, so I'm going to paint about it. <laughs> That'll be the end of it. Um, so one thing that I have been doing right now, and it's just, you know, this is just for me. I don't know if it's how it is for everyone else, but I realized I'm like, you know what? It's hard for me to talk to others, you know, friends, family, people that I'm close to, it's hard to say just directly head on, here's what I'm feeling. Here's what's frustrating me. Here's what came out. Like that's, whew, that's weird territory for me. So what I've been practicing doing, which it sounds so fundamental, but it, it's important for me right now is I have been actively trying to keep a personal journal that I write in morning and night um, because I have just realized that I process through words and, mm. and I have to give myself permission to do that first because what I end up doing is I end up shaming myself and saying, oh, but it's better if you talk to someone. And absolutely, 
But I find that when I sit down and I actually write what I'm feeling and I try to get there first. And sometimes I'll start with the art and then I'll go from there. I'll start with poetry. I'll start with art. I'll start with a little sketch. And then the words come. And then when it's on paper, then a lot of times I will share. Sometimes I've, I've actually, and this is new to the quarantine, actually, I've actually started to share actual parts of my journal, like with my sister or my husband. Like I say, like, can I just share this with you? This is something I'm, instead of trying to force myself to be like, okay, you need to be this great communicator, this great articulator. Because it just doesn't come naturally for me. Like, and it, takes, <laughs> it takes a lot of work for me to share so I've just realized um I actually had a moment a week ago I don't remember what it was I have no idea what it was but it was something I had a strong emotion about and I was trying to explain it to my husband and I just felt like he wasn't getting it and instead <laughs> of <laughs> I was like, oh you're not getting it I was like you know what forget it. I was like, I'm just going to text it to you. And I did. And he was like, oh, I completely understand what you're saying. I was like, oh, okay, I can do that. Oh, cheers to the text interventions when things are getting heated in marriage. Yeah. Oh, so with that, like, yes. Yeah. I was like, okay, that's some progress. I was like, I could have stood there for an hour and exhausted myself trying to explain my point, which I literally cannot remember what it was. Um, or <laughs> <laughs> or I'm just going to go in the other room and I'm just going to text it to you and then he was like oh yeah <laughs> I'm so sorry I completely understand what you're saying now I was like okay that's the thing I was like that's a that's a way so so yeah I think for me it's been like first realizing like okay you can probably go a little deeper than just writing a poem about it like <laughs> let's be real but then also not shaming myself when I don't feel like I can show up in the present moment and deliver the most, you know, eloquently. Like I just, I mean, just to be completely transparent, like I've been really struggling just over the past few weeks, which was what's been going on in America, um, you know, specifically after the death of, of George Floyd and just even really struggling with like, oh, I don't feel eloquent enough to speak. I don't feel like I have the right words. I don't feel like I have I have the right thing to say. And just really feeling shame for not being able to show up immediately. Mm-hmm. And I just had to like, in the, in the way that I kind of feel like, you know, that I tell myself like, oh, you need to, you know, like this, this person, they're an activist and here's how they're sharing. You know, telling myself like, oh, well, you're not on that level. So- why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? And the way that I've just been dealing with that is just realizing like, you know what, like we all process differently. Um, and it's okay to not have words right away. It's okay to not have words all the time. Um, like I've, I've had some friends text me and say, Hey, how are you doing? Cause I haven't been posting on social media as much. Cause I just, I can't, I can't do it right now. And I just tell them, like, you know, I don't know how I feel right now. Like <laughs> I don't know. And I don't have to always know. So for me, that's been a, yeah, that's something I feel like I'm actively, I work through that every day. Cause uh, <laughs> you know, the texts will come in and I'm just like, Oh, I got to respond right now. Like I got to, Oh, I got to explain what I need to say or the phone call will come in and it's just like, no, I don't. I, I'm allowed to take that time. So, yeah. <laughs> so much of what we've been taught about struggle feels doubt, fear of failure, perfectionism, discomfort, and more. 
These fears try to keep us small and can hijack how we lead ourselves, our businesses, and those in our charge. So instead of hating and trying to kill or will away these struggles, I'm calling you up to befriend these parts of you, which really have good intentions and are simply trying to protect you, even if how they protect really doesn't help. I created the anatomy of the U-turn, Y-O-U, so you could have a dynamic resource to help you map your inner influences, build relationships with them, understand their intent, and eventually lead them instead of them leading you when the echoes of reoccurring struggles show up. Get on the wait list for the Anatomy of a U-Turn online experience. Go to www.rebeccaching.com backslash you and enter your email address and you'll be the first to receive information when this unburdened leadership tool launches next month. I'm so excited for you to have access to this practice customized for leaders, business owners, and entrepreneurs like you. I mean, you hit on a lot there. For you, you're making your own personal practice of writing morning and evening. And I'm actually feeling a strong pull to that too. And Shelter In has really thrown everything for a loop on <laughs> daily structure. Oh, yeah. but, um, but what are some of the shoulds that because shame is all about shoulds and shitting on ourselves. And who do you think you are? I heard you say, oh, I'm not this, like this activist. You kind of, you motioned, I'm, I'm seeing you on video right now. And you motioned higher up and you were lower. Oh, wow. And, um, and I see you, I kind of see and hear you do that a lot. This kind of disbelief that people connect with your work or that even you can make money from this. Yeah. There's this constant <laughs> yeah. theme I've picked up as I've been, since I've started following you that stood out to me, this genuine shock, like really? Um, and it's, it's, there's a humility in there that I sense, but I've, I also hear the shame narratives. What are, what are some of the shame narratives that come up maybe even just going with with what's gone on with George, the the death of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter protests and the the complete upending that we're seeing in our world what are some of the shoulds that have been particularly loud for you since mm-hmm. you and you said you've felt a little flooded and, and and maybe if you don't have the words maybe what are some yeah. of the things that you've written or drawn around that yes yes there's actually a um a youtube a YouTube video that I saw recently that probably really summed up a lot of what, I, what I'm, what I've been feeling. And I actually really recommend it, but I will give a content warning. It's heavy. Um, just in terms, it deals a lot with slavery and there's some images. It's, it's definitely heavy. Um, and you know, some of the, the violence that came along with that. And, but it's, it was talking about the trope in movies of, of the strong black woman and how that's just like a bit of popular trope of just like oftentimes like black women are portrayed as just like you got to be strong you got to be like the community leader you got to be like this wise voice and it just really articulated just a lot of what I feel like I have felt of just like I should be that about black woman like I should Mm. be the strong courageous never takes any nonsense like never sheds a tear, like hold everyone together. And they went through all these examples, like in, 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 in movies and TV shows where that's just been like kind of how 
um, a lot of black women have been betrayed. And for me, that was actually very encouraging to see because I was like, oh, okay, I see how I feel like I should be that. Um, I see how I feel like I should be um, perhaps, you know, more vocal immediately in the way that maybe some other artists who are, again, like I said, activists or writers or, you know, who or, or tweeters <laughs> or Instagrammers, you know, like that they, I'm like, oh, well, they're presenting this way. I'm like, when the issue happens, I'm like, they're on their Instagram stories they're on their Instagram live. They're like, here's a call to action. Do this, do this, do that. And, and, and I'm grateful for that. And at the same time, there are other people, there are other black women who are just like, I'm still trying to figure out how to breathe through this right now. Um, I'm still trying to figure out, and, and they're obviously dealing with that too, but it's just like, we, and I think I'm specifically talking about like people who are maybe influencers or, or share publicly. Um, we all have different things to contribute. That's essentially what I'm saying. Um, and even though I'm looking at it sometimes like I should be sharing more in real time, I should be probably able to process more in real time or do what they're doing. I also have to realize like, okay, at the same time, you know, you've been, you've been comforting your family members through this. You know, I've been checking up on family members. I've been responding to my other my other black friends and colleagues that are dealing with similar things we've been talking and like that matters too you know absolutely and, and telling and just having to remind myself of that you know when i say it it sounds so simple <laughs> but it's very easy to get caught up in that and to just yeah i don't know if i i'm still i feel like i'm still looking for the words for it but i do think that you know in an age where you know, we are seeing more activism, which I'm very grateful for. I, I also just want to remind myself and maybe remind others that there are many ways that we can be a part of this movement. There are many ways that we can be a part of the collective healing that needs to happen. And there are a lot of people who are going to be on Instagram and on Twitter in real time. And I'm grateful for them. I'm so grateful for the journalists who put their lives at risk to report stories for the, the bystanders who put their lives at risk to, to record videos in real time. Um, and at the same time, there are people who's, who's, who may not even have social media who are very much so a part of, of the progress and moving things forward. So yeah, just, just reminding myself of that. Um, you know, I think a lot about like, writers that I'd like to read who are no longer here. Um, like someone like Toni Morrison or, you know, like she's not here right now. She, she passed away and yet still her words are so relevant to today and they're so real. And she's actually, when I actually did post something, she was the first person that I quoted. <laughs> she's the first person that I kind of leaned on, um, and so, yeah, I think about that a lot. You know, I think if, you know, if, if anyone's listening to this and they feel like they are a slow processor or slower than maybe some others, like, like there's a power in words, there's power in, in, in writing and in sharing, you know, even if you don't feel like you can do it like everyone else does. 
So, so yeah, mm-hmm. that's a big, that's a big shift for me. It's just feeling like I've got to be the strong voice immediately in this way, because I'm like, well, I look up to that person. I, I was inspired by that person or that person educated me. So I feel like I should be like that, but realizing, no, I can be like me <laughs> and, and still, you know, still be a part of it all. So, yeah. I think that's a powerful word for us all versus who we think we should be versus who we are. And I heard you just say, I'm going to be me. You may still be rumbling with the words for that, but how would you describe you then? Mm, um, I I don't know who said this originally, but I, I've heard just feel like different variations of this, of just like, and I'm thinking specifically about work of just like, there are people who their job is to be on top of things and there's people who their job is to get to the bottom of things. And I feel like for me, that's the work that I do. I'm getting to the bottom. Um, I, I sit with stories. I sit with emotions and feelings that I have and that others share with me. And I'm like, let's get to the bottom, not for the answers, but just get to the bottom so we can kind of, just unearth some things and talk about it, um, even if we're just talking about it through art. So I feel like for me, it's I f- I do feel like I've been given a gift to to hold a lot of things, um, and I kind of see myself that way. Like I see myself on the bottom, and that can be negative. Like you said about like just how you said I physically was like, oh, but activists are doing so much more than me. Um, the positive side of that is feeling like I'm on the bottom, but I'm I'm looking up and feeling like I'm I'm I I don't mind kind of being I don't want to say in the background because I don't I don't feel like I'm in the background, but that's not even the right word of just feeling like I like being on the ground and I like being with this these sort of old task of writing and sketching I'm like these aren't you know mm. this is fancy work I could I mean yeah I'm using digital devices to make my art but it, I'm not <laughs> I'm not the most proficient artist like a lot of the stuff I do is really really simple um, and I like it that way I, I like to have just simple things that I can work with and say let's just start here on the ground so I, when I see myself it's I just see myself as someone on the ground I see myself as someone like just wanting to be present with people, um, you know, right where I am and, 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 and hopefully lift others up. So I don't know if that, that's, that's the long game work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, you said a couple words and I, I, I'm, I'm curious about you earlier. You said that you're a slower processor as you were talking about how you were sh- rumbling with showing up in the wake of George Floyd's death and, and the subsequent, subsequent protests you are a slower processor and that there's those who are slow. And there is this kind of negative connotation. I hear that a lot. Like I need some time. I married someone who is a deep internal processor. Mm. I am a verbal fast, but that I can miss stuff if I don't slow the heck down. And my husband and those that I've worked with who are slower processors to me, slow, it's not slow. They're deep. They're intentional. And what my husband says is I want to say the right thing. I want to take the time to get the right words. I don't want to say something that doesn't feel right. And I hear that from a lot of people. So maybe for me, it's not as much slow as it's high integrity and 
seeking clarity and depth and meaning and wanting to be aligned with the words. Mm. Um, and there, you can, I know people can get lost in that, but it doesn't feel like it's slow because there's a lot going on. It's just not seen on the surface. Mm. Does any of that land? And if so, I'm curious. Absolutely. That is exactly how I feel. Um, yeah, I, I lean into wanting to be thorough and just wanting to kind of slowly work my way through things. Um, but yeah, like you said, for me, like when I'm, you know, just as an example, when I'm sitting here, like right before this, actually, I, I was working on some art for a project and, um, and I was working on a particular piece and, and I looked up at the time and it ended up taking, this piece took like 45 more minutes than I expected to. I was like, Oh no, I had all this other stuff to do. Um, but then I was able to just in that moment, look at it and say, Oh, but look what I made. I was like, this is what I was going for. This is, I guess it took longer, but this is what I was going for. And I, I wasn't upset. I wasn't angry. I wasn't anxious about the fact that, I had lost time. Like, I was like, no, I, I guess I needed the extra time to get it done. So, yeah, I think that's a, that's a strength of mine. Um, for instance, I mean, I'm, I'm 30 years old now and, and I, and I feel like, you know, as, you know, as, as the old folks say, you know, Lord willing and the creek don't rise. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm still here, you know, 40, 50 years from now, I'm like, yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm just now getting around to what I'm trying to say. I'm like, I don't think I've figured it out yet. Like, I think I'm just getting started. So Amen to that. I feel like that's a, a positive side of it. You know, it's when I can get back to that, that's, that's a good place for me. Just like, why are you in a rush? Like, <laughs> nice. so yeah, this is long game work. <laughs> yes, I, I'm, long I'm game. sitting here debating whether I share this at risk, but I'm going to go for it, Morgan. So you were talking about kind of that deeper work, you know, kind of getting into it with people. And, you know, when you were talking about what you were doing behind the scenes these last couple of weeks, I just saw your face lit up when you're like, I'm connecting with my family, mm. I'm connecting with my friends. You just, you mm. lit up. I could see that. It was like, you were grounded, you were glowing, you were smiling, you were clear. So I just, I, I want to give witness to that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. also you had this image of you kind of in the depths, you said, looking up and it, I'm like laughing, I'm going to share this, but it brought me back to my years in high school and you don't know me well enough, but if we were to hang out more, you'd probably know real quickly that I was a cheerleader and I was like all in 1980s, big haired Midwestern <laughs> cheerleader. Well, and I made this decision that I wanted to be a base, not someone, cause I'm five, two. Uh, mm -hmm. But I'm like, no, I wanted to be a base. I wanted to be strong. I wanted to lift people up. I mean, mm -hmm. part of it was like, no, no way in hell I'm going to get flipped around. And But I wanted to do something in substantive. And that just felt like really badass to me <laughs> to like be someone lifting others up even bigger than me. And so that just brought that picture in. It's like, yes, wow, you can lift you up. And oh I just had that gosh. picture of just like that's there's there's this element of we have to I lift each it. other and we all have different roles some people are lifted up and they're the ones that are you know we that catch our eye of course but the bases oh my gosh you know and so 
I, I just that brought that image uh, for lack of diminishing uh, the depth by bringing in my Midwestern oh, no. cheerleading. <laughs> I, I feel like that is like the perfect analogy though, because it's just like, yeah, you can be five two and, and you can be small and do it too. Like you can lift others up. Like you got it. I I love it. <laughs> I think that's so essential. And I'm hearing, I'm hearing as you're untangling the shoulds and, and even just mm. like, I'm 30 now. There's like this, I mean, there is something about turning 30 where I'm like, oh, I think I might have a little bit of a clue now that I can mm. make decisions without questioning them a little bit. Mm-hmm. There's that awakening, wait till 40s and I'm almost, <laughs> 50, which is wild. Um, but it, I think there is an element, but the, the echoes of shame and saying, who do you think you are to have your pain to speak mm. up? to you should look like this way. And even the, the extra challenge when we don't have people mirroring back to us a reflection that we resonate with mm. and you identifying, not finding an example for you, a black woman that felt like you connected with on a deeper level. Mm-hmm. Um, that And so trying to have yourself be some, have an energy and a presence that yeah. wasn't organic, organic to you. Um, I, I feel like that there's iterations of that message that many people can identify with. Um, yeah, and, absolutely. And, yeah, so it's just it's just powerful. Um, can I? I'm, I want you to talk a little bit more about the doubts and disbeliefs too, just briefly. You know, like when people are like, "Oh my gosh, Morgan!" I mean, maybe it's finally sinking in. I don't know, but like when people really get your work and really and that you're making a living mm-hmm. off of this. Can you share more about the doubts and disbeliefs and how you're rumbling and navigating them? Yeah. So I, in real time, it is in real time. I actually, um, I feel like I, because I've at some point early on, I figured out, oh, I get processed, you know, my doubts and feelings through artwork that is still happening. Um, So I, for me, just trying to manage, you know, what does it look like to be, you know, a, a businesswoman? I, I started an online shop last year. And even though I've done lots of freelance work, just many different things, um, the online shop was kind of the first time where I was like, oh, this is like an actual steady thing. And it, and it proved just to be a lot more sustainable than I thought it was going to be. And there's just a lot of stress with that. So for me, I write about that stress and I, that's sort of a way that I feel like I'm, I'm being courageous in real time, a little bit in real time, because it's, it is stressful. I mean, a whole lot has changed with our business um, since the coronavirus. And, and I talk about those feelings and those emotions. And, and even if, even if what I say isn't that deep, you know, if I'm just saying, Hey, it's okay to fear, to have fears. It's okay to, None of us have ever been here before. We're all figuring this out together. You know, um, like those are all, I mean, if if you see anything that I've shared um, recently, like it's all stuff that I'm actually feeling. So I feel like I'm, I'm growing in that. Um, And, and I'll even, even when I'm responding to others, I'll say, I'm like, Hey, I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel this way. And I just want to make space for, if you ever feel this way, (laughs) you have this art that you can look at and, and know that, this this comes from that feeling of uncertainty or fear um because that's one thing i try to be careful with is i don't want to like i don't want to like tell someone else what they're feeling because i don't know (laughs) so um a lot of times i'll say hey when you said this like it brought this up for me like or the image of the mountains or brought up a time where i felt this way um 
And I've just started to write about that in real time with my art. And it gives me a lot of peace because I know that whether I am selling a print or if I'm just posting on Instagram, I'm like, that came from a real place. And whether it's successful, you know, a thousand people want to buy it or two people want to buy it. Um, I know that it came from a real place and I can just keep creating from that real place every day. And, and that matters. So it's so, awesome. yeah, a real time thing for me. So tackling those disbeliefs and doubts by just addressing them real time, that presence, yes. there's such yes, power yes, yes. in that. Oh, so, yeah. And you talked about, you talked about your team and you shared a little bit with me before we started recording, but what are some of the most important things for you in leading your team? I don't know if you guys have mm-hmm. your own core values or what are, for your business, what are the most important things as you yeah. lead and grow your team? Yeah. So when I brought on our first team members, um, they were two people that actually actually knew them prior to bringing them on just through different different seasons of life. And when I realized that, because me and my husband were running the online shop with with our with our son, like literally he was he was born and like two months after the shop started and we were posting um when he was born, we were posting on the shop, hey guys, just so you know, like Morgan's delivering a baby, so <laughs> orders might be a little slow. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was it was a lot of work, a lot of work. Um, and we we're just like, you know, it's I mean, it's not even like we're just making a ton of money or anything, but we we're just like, we need help. Like, we got to make that work. Like, it's not even for us. It wasn't about like trying to get wealthy off of this. It was just like this is paying the bills, but we need help. So we brought on two people at the same time and. Um, they are incredible and um, they're both very creative. And one of the, when I think about core values, this is one of the first things I told them was just like, guys, like, I, I love that you guys are here. I was like, but I was like, selfishly, I was like, if you guys ever want to leave and you ever want to go work somewhere else, I was like, I hope it's because you're going and you're starting your own business or you're starting your own work as a writer, as an artist. Cause I was like, I have internet stalked both of you guys long enough to know that you guys are both writers. You both have something to say. You both have stories to tell. And I was like, I'm not just building you up. I was like, I'm drawn to people who have a voice and who have something to say. And I'll regularly send them things. And I'm like, I want your feedback. And I'm like, you don't have to give me like a, I'm your boss, you know, nice answer. I'm like, I value your voice. I was like, that helps me improve and it helps us grow together. So so yeah, I I like to think of it as like as like working for Morgan is like going to like Morgan's little knockoff creative school. Um, <laughs> like I'll send them um, like podcasts and Skillshare classes to watch. <laughs> so, <laughs> so a little yeah, incubator. I, yeah, yeah, I really do feel that way. And I I tell them all the time, like, hey, if it's too much, if you're tired of my podcast recommendations, just tell me. (laughs) I'm like, this is not me. Like, you need to get better at this. I'm like, I just think, I don't know. I just want to share this with you. So it is nice to to have people that who have, I mean, we have things in common outside of work. So, and I feel like that, that ends up impacting the work in a lot of ways. It's like, they're also passionate about art and 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 mental health and you know these are things that that were important to them before before they met me so um 
you know, I, I think that's a, you know, we're still in the early stages. I mean, we just reached what a year and two months of being a company and it's just so weird. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things where we're just taking it day by day and um, we're all working remote now. So I do try to be more present on, we use Slack and which is like a texting thing for yep. companies to use. And I try to be more present there because I'm like, we're not seeing each other. So like, I just want to let you know, like I am here. So sometimes I'll just literally post on Slack. I'm like, Hey guys, you know, I've got a thousand things going on today, but if you need me, you know, here I am. Um, so yeah, sounds like good, good communication and lifting, <laughs> lifting and investing in your team yeah. and building them up so they can become more of who they are. Mm, it sounds like that's what I'm teasing out. That's my what, hope, what, yeah. what have been some of the biggest challenges in leading your team and leading your business? Yes, I have never been a boss before. I've never been a leader. I've never wanted to be a leader. Um, I remember in college one year they asked me to be an RA and I was like absolutely not (laughs) why would I want to be in charge of all these girls I was like this looks exhausting (laughs) um no I was like no 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 I don't want this (laughs) stop asking me to do things um like I was any like seriously in college specifically anytime I was asked I was like a good student I was present I would get asked to lead things and I would always demote myself I'd be like I'm not gonna run it I'll help you I'll be your assistant I'll I'll run the music part or I'll run the PowerPoint, but don't, <laughs> please don't put me in charge. I don't, it's, which is so weird. I'm, I'm like an oldest child. Like I have ideas. I have vision. I just don't, don't know. It just seems so exhausting. So anyway, the biggest challenge has been not <laughs> overthinking every little thing and not being like, like there have been times where literally everyone on the team has been like, Morgan, it's okay. Like it's, I'm not stressed about it. Like <laughs> it's fine because <laughs> I, I tend to work myself so much. Of, and I think some of that comes from, I have had experiences in the past of some, some bad bosses, <laughs> some bad superiors, some people who, who I didn't mm. feel like were good to me or did not listen to me. And I'm hyper aware of like, I do not want to be that person. I do not want to be the one who doesn't listen, who overloads employees or doesn't give them, you know, all those things that, come along with work relationships and dynamics. Um, but I do think that sometimes in that strive for trying to be like the perfect boss, like you can really overwhelm yourself. So I just, uh, yeah, I feel like it's just a matter of just trying to train myself to take it day by day and say, you know, like every, every person on the team is going to be different. They're going to have different needs. People are going to have different needs and different seasons of life. Like there's no like playbook where it's just like, follow these 100 rules and you'll have the perfect relationships all the time. You know, it's, that's <laughs> it's something I'm, yeah, that's something I'm just trying to remind myself of, but it, it still daily feels weird that like, I'm a, I'm a leader. <laughs> okay. Morgan, you're one of the most you're one of the most reluctant leaders that the world needs right now oh that I've goodness. ever met. You are, I mean, you repeatedly like, and again, we can lead. We don't have to lead from the stage, but well, I mean, shoot, speaking from the stage, I mean, that was a part of your journey too, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Listeners can't see your face. Right yes, now. it is so. Oh my goodness! Like, I feel like growing up, I heard like the story of of Moses in the Bible and 
and how he just didn't want the job and was doing everything he could to just say, no, God, please don't. I don't want this. And I just remember thinking, I'm like, yeah, that's that's literally my whole life. Like, <laughs> like I don't want the job. Just like you were touring. The corner. Yeah. Right, you were you were touring, playing music with your sister, yeah. Nashville, doing the whole like you you, you know. And that was another one of those times mm-hmm. where you were like, I should be enjoying this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But I'm not. <laughs> yeah, it's that is real. That is real. And and I think I still am trying to get to the bottom of like, where does that come from? You know, I'm like, why am I so? What am I so afraid of? Um, but I do think a lot of it just maybe just has to do with fears and fears taking on a, a lot of different shapes and and yeah. So it's just something where I'm like, okay, I don't know where it comes from, but I know it's something I have to work through. So <laughs> how, like, cause like now I'm mom, like, I can't just be like, Oh, I don't want to leave you. I'm like, <laughs> you can't, you can't exactly raise himself. So, I mean, though he is very smart. Um, but um, his favorite word is bye. He loves to go to the door and say bye. I'm like, what is that? <laughs> are, we, are we that boring? Um, like seriously, like ten times a day, he goes and crosses, walks to the door, just like bye, bye. <laughs> it's like she's right. so excited. See you later. Um, but yeah, he can't raise himself, so I'm gonna when you know, <laughs> when you were touring. I'd love for you to share just a little bit when you were touring because there seems to be a theme here. Um, you were touring with your sister, who is a musician, singer, songwriter, also correct. Uh, how long were you, how long were you guys on the road, and how long? Uh, how, how much of that time did you realize I don't want to be doing this? And how long did it take you to say, I got to stop? <laughs> yeah. How long did yes. you, yeah. It started a little bit in 2011 and then full time in 2012. And then it started to slow down in 2016. So about four, four, four and a half, almost five years. And um, I knew from the beginning that this was, it was going to exhaust me um, just looking at like it's so it's so weird to talk about because I remember seeing like the first big the first big tour that I did with her and looking at like the list of cities and my first thought was not whoa I'm going on tour a national tour it was this looks exhausting that's so long before I get to go home and take a break um but the reason why I I I signed up for it because I felt that way from the beginning. But the reason why I signed up for it was because I was learning that just the way the music industry often works, like if you're interested in being a songwriter and kind of getting into that world, it can possibly help. You know, if you don't have any connections or anything, it can help to to be the singer yourself. And that could sort of be a way into the, the songwriting industry. So that was sort of my end goal. I was like, you know what? I'm in my early 20s. Like, I'll pay my dues. I'll go on the road. I'll make the connections. And as long as I get to write. As long as at the end of the day, I get to come home and write songs. So oftentimes I would, um, there are many times where um, the whole band, everybody would be off the tour bus. And I would just like pull out a guitar and just write songs. And um yeah, I was living for that, like those little moments. But the thing was, was just that um, I was okay with that. But it's like, it, it it's not very lucrative. <laughs> it, 
industry that way, you know, when you're an opening act or a supporting act and, and pretty much every tour, cause I, I didn't always tour with my sister. I was, I, I ended up like being on other tours and things with different people doing various things. And my husband ended up getting into tour managing. So he would manage tours and, um, and yeah, for, for the, the top, whatever percent, it can be a very lucrative <laughs> job, but it's really hard. Um, not impossible, but hard. And it's hard to get healthcare. It's hard to, um, you know, that touring life, it could be hard. Um, but if you love it, you want to keep doing it. And for me, I just, I didn't really love it like that. You know, I was like, I can do about, I was like, I can do about like three shows a month, but that sometimes is like three hundred dollars. <laughs> that, wow. that doesn't exactly cover all of your expenses. So, wow. um, so yeah, that's kind of where I hit in twenty sixteen. I was just like, whoa! I was like, I'm going to spend the rest of my life like being really tired, but having to be tired because that's the only way to sustain this, or I'm going to have to find something else. So, yeah. How long were you tolerating that? Mm. How long were it, kind of that point where you realized, uh, uh-uh, uh, versus really making that change? Yeah, it was from, uh, I would say I started to feel at the heaviest around like 2014. That was just sort of like, okay, I'm paying my dues, but kind of how long? Um, How long is that going to go? And by that time, we had moved to Nashville and I ended up recording an album myself, um, which was very, which was very expensive. And again, it's it's so weird to just talk about music and money terms. But for me, that was just the reality of it. Like I didn't, I didn't have like just tons of resources to go off of to be able to just focus on the music. Like for me, it was it was very much so like real time budgeting, trying to figure out how to make it work. Um, so yeah, 2014 was just sort of like. Where I think the idea started to just sort of like, uh, how long am I going to do it this way? Um, I'll keep doing it, but how long? I'll keep doing it, but how long? <laughs> um, so yeah, 2016 was just sort of like I, I was like, I don't, I can't keep doing this because um, I had had a moment where I had been um, told that I was going to. There was a sort a big a big project that just fell through. Um, mm-hmm. And that was sort of like, I think a last straw moment of like, okay, if that's not going to come through, then these other things probably aren't going to come through. So I was like, I can't tolerate this anymore. I have to just let it go. I was like, even if it just means letting go of art altogether and just, you know, work. Isn't that interesting that it it felt (laughs) like you had to let it all go, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, Yeah. Uh, that's still it still blows my mind that I that I thought that way because it's always creativity has always just been such a central component to everything I've done and the fact that I felt like I had to let it all go I think that really just sort of speaks to a lot of the repressed things that I was feeling in that time of just like I don't know how much more I can do this so so yeah it's amazing when that creativity that is so connected to kind of our essence our being our voice becomes something that's like a should or it's monetized at the expense of the joy of it right Mm. it really um it really can shut down and is that you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that 
depression surged again in your 20s. Was this the time that you were referencing or was that yeah. another time? Oh, yeah. That was, was the time. That was the time. I feel like I started brewing around 25 and then 26 in 2016. That was very much so like, okay, you know, I've got to figure what are What are you not willing to tolerate today? What are you just mm. like, no, I'm not going to tolerate this anymore. Hmm, that's a good question. Hmm. I think it's, you know, I think of specific, and I hesitate to say, because I'm like, I don't want to sound like, I don't know. But I think of specific people that have, well, even that hesitation, I think speaks to this a little bit. I think specific people who have said or, or done hurtful things to me um, of just, not making excuses for it anymore you know it's like if I don't have it in me to just like keep circling back and responding to your texts and try to go through all the niceties I don't have to you know I don't I don't have to do that um nope I think there's a lot of I don't know if it's a southern thing a woman thing a people thing I don't know there's a lot of like oh you gotta be nice to them you gotta like play nice I don't know what that is but that for me, I found I'm like, no, I, I can't do that. Like my physical body can't hold that. Like I, I only have so much room. <laughs> I only have so much time. And I had a moment, I, I think this, it was it's fresh where a week ago, just in considering everything that's going on right now, um, someone who I considered a friend shared something just that was incredibly offensive uh, to me. And I didn't even think about it on a global scale. I was just like, well, that hurt me. Um, and I let them know. And I said, hey, this hurt me. Um, and they just completely defended their point. And they're like, no, it shouldn't hurt you. Here's why. Da, da, da. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. That was not the re response that I wanted, um, that I thought I was going to hear. Because I was just like, I'm not even talking about this in like a political sense. I was like, I was just saying like, hey, this really hurt me and how... Um, and and just I noticed growth in myself because I was like I think earlier versions of Morgan would have kept trying to get them to see, and I was just like you mm. know maybe that person is just not maybe we're just not as close as I thought we were maybe they were not they're not as understanding of me and it sucks and it sucks to think about how okay yeah that that might not be someone that I invite to things later on you know because. I don't want you saying something like that to, to me or someone else I love or care about. And that was, that was tough, but just realizing like, yeah, I don't have to, I don't have to maintain that friendship in that way. Um, yeah. And I think, I think other versions of me would have tried to be like, no, you have to repair it. You've got to be the one to fix it. But yeah. <laughs> I, to let that go. <sighs> I think it's a, it's a hard one too, because a lot of people, I mean, I think you, you, you come from a, a family of faith too, and there's a lot of messages around that oh, too. Yeah. And oh, yeah. that if the relationship isn't working, then it's, there's almost this place where many of us say it's on me to fix it. And mm -hmm. if it's not working versus yeah. no, this isn't okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to set a boundary there and it's not a failure. It's just data. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. not, a, not a reflection on my identity or my worthiness. It doesn't mm -hmm. feel that way. Yeah. But um, I love that you're not tolerating that. I'm going through another phase of that myself. And it's empowering and extremely uncomfortable all rolled in one. <laughs> yeah, it is. Like, 
I'll never forget the first time, like about a year ago, year and a half ago, I, I blocked someone on Instagram and someone that I knew and it felt weird, but I was just like, this is no more. This person is doing toxic things. And I don't like the fact that when I'm posting something, I'm thinking about what they may say and how they may. I was like, <laughs> no, totally. I, I was like, it's okay. Like sometimes that, that needs to happen. And yeah, like you said, it can feel weird, but at the same time, empowering. So yeah, that's a real thing. It's a real thing. It is a real thing. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Thank you for showing up and keep showing up. Thank you for your vulnerability and your truth. It is medicine to so many souls, uh, mine, uh, mine included with the millions that know your work. And that's so cool to say. Um, and I really, really appreciate the honesty with which you just talk about your rumble, your process, and really believe that the world is better because you're showing up in it the way you are. So thank you so much for your time today and for being you. Mm, well, thank you. I, I'm so grateful for this conversation. This was a wonderful way to start the day. (laughs) (laughs) Where can people find you? If people want to connect with you, where can they find you? Yes. Uh, So my name is Morgan Harper Nichols. That is my Instagram handle, Morgan Harper Nichols. And I'm on Pinterest as well. Same name, website, same name, morganharpernichols.com and Facebook. So yeah, so you can find me. You have a book that came out the beginning of the year. Yeah, I do. It's yeah. called All Along You Were Blooming. And um, yeah, if, you, if you just type my name in, like on your favorite bookseller, and um, yeah, it should show up. All Along You Were Blooming by Morgan Harper Nichols. And you have an email list that people can sign up to get daily motivations or they yeah, can get it I all do. in one. I do. One yeah, I have so many things. I'm like, <laughs> like I'm trying not to give the whole list. But um, yeah, I do. I do have a mailing list where I just send out like short encouragements. Uh, um, you know, just a little encouragement in your inbox. Yeah, you can find that Wonderful. at harpernichols.com. So yeah. If you haven't heard of Morgan and you're not following her, you need to do so now. Your soul will thank you. Oh, again, I'll leave that. Well, thank you, Morgan. Again, this was a delight. And I look forward to staying connected and seeing how you continue to grow and iterate and cheering you on all the way. Oh, well, thank you. Same here. Thank you so much. Wow. Listening to and learning from Morgan gives us another powerful reminder that recurring struggles are not a sign of failure or weakness. They're simply data points, trailheads, leading us to the path we need to take. Though we often take a more windy path, avoiding and doubting along the way, when we eventually respect the lead from the groans of our spirit, we deepen our ability to trust ourselves. And trusting starts with listening, deeply listening, to yourself and others while leading when you don't have it all figured out or are simply still trying to figure out who the heck you are. This is one of the most wholehearted and authentic actions you can take. Where are you doubting and avoiding the data points that keep showing up in your life? And where are you getting stuck in the shoulds and the deep end of comparison instead of trusting yourself? What is getting in the way of you becoming a better listener to the pain of others or to your own pain? And as Morgan shared so beautifully, listening to others can help you find your own language, your own healing, 
instead of getting caught up in the noise of the world or the noise between our ears. Thank you so much for joining this episode of The Unburdened Leader. Make sure you follow Morgan Harper Nichols on Instagram as her words and art are medicine for the soul. You can find this episode, show notes, and free Unburdened Leader resources along with ways to work with me at www.rebeccaching.com. Thank you.